Welcome to another episode of Curbside Consult, where we take a deep dive into the practice-changing research published in the New England Journal of Medicine. In today's podcast, we are pleased to have Dr. Karen Solomon and Dr. Renee Salas for a discussion on climate change and healthcare. I'm your host, Dr. Kristen Nottage, one of this year's editorial fellows. But we're in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, and so I'm recording remotely. We hope that you're keeping well and safe out there. The coronavirus pandemic has meant that for one of the first times ever, the entire world is experiencing the same thing at the same time. It's given me pause to think, though. Isn't this exactly what climate change has been trying to highlight all along? That climate changes affect us all, right now, beyond neighborhood or country boundaries, and the effects are communal on a global scale. From fires to floods, scorching summers to endless winters, Climate change contributes to spread of infectious disease, forced migration, and continues to highlight the unequal effects of these hazards on the most vulnerable in society. We've come upon a time of reckoning and a need to a unified awareness and response. In this episode of Curbside Consults, I'm joined by Dr. Karen Solomon, Deputy Editor at the New England Journal of Medicine and Associate Professor of Medicine at Harvard Medical School and a physician at the Fish Center for Women's Health at Brigham and Women's Hospital, and Dr. Renee Salas, an emergency medicine physician in the Department of Emergency Medicine at Massachusetts General Hospital and Harvard Medical School. She's also a Yearby Fellow at the Center for Climate Change, Health, and Global Environment at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. Let's dive right in. Welcome to you both, and thank you for taking this time to join us. We hope that you and your teams are keeping well and safe. Thank you, Chris J. It's really great to be here, and I hope uh, you're uh, well as well in these really difficult times. I also want to echo uh, that it's an honor to be here with you both. Thank you for having us. Thank you. So how did you get involved in climate change advocacy and education? For me, I actually really became involved based on concerns of my children. I think that their worries about um, climate and its effects really made me learn more and become much more engaged. And I actually think that's been a kind of broad-based theme is that a lot of younger people are, uh, I think, really bringing the crucial attention to this issue and um, engaging older people as well. For me, my crossroads really began about seven years ago. It was during my first year as an attending uh, and my first year as a fellow And I heard a lecture about how climate change was the greatest health emergency facing our generation. And I had not heard about it until that point. So I had gone through medical school and residency without receiving that piece of what I now view as a very essential uh, part of education. And so for me, it was an epiphany. And I, at that point, really redirected my career to focus on climate change and health and has led me to where I am today. That's great. And ties in well with my next question, which is that in a perspective piece published in the journal earlier this year, Dr. Salas described climate change as a meta problem or a problem that underlies other problems. I find that to be a useful way of thinking of things. I particularly liked a story you told of a patient with seasonal allergies coming to see the doctor who had complaints that her allergies were getting worse every year and sticking around for a longer period of time. Could you elaborate a little bit more on this story and this way of thinking of climate change? 
Thank you, Krista. And I appreciate the feedback that that framework resonates because I think it really does for me too, because it really recognized that a meta problem is something that touches everything. And sometimes it can be in a very obvious or direct fashion, but sometimes it can be indirectly and very insidious. And so I have made it a goal of mine, in fact, to connect climate change to whatever it is that someone does. And I would argue that's within health and even outside of health. And knock on wood, I have yet uh, to not be able to do that. And I think that that's really important. I have oftentimes medical students will ask, well, what specialty should I go into if I want to engage in the climate crisis and its intersection with health and healthcare? And I tell them they can do anything. Because honestly, the climate crisis is affecting every specialty, and we need truly individuals across the spectrum to engage. And then just connecting, I think, to the patient story that you highlight, is that the same is true for patients, that we have to make the climate crisis personal for them. And so we have to connect it to whatever health conditions that they have. And so for this patient, for her intimate connection with how the climate crisis is directly impacting her health is through her allergies and the fact that pollen levels are getting higher as a result of climate change. And I think it highlights the thread that I'm sure will come out through our conversation that making it personal is critical. As Renee already brought out, clearly it's affecting multiple dimensions of health, but also I think what is really important to point out right now is how it intersects with justice, with racial justice. We look and we know that the populations who are most profoundly affected by the climate crisis. And all of us are affected, but those most profoundly affected are vulnerable and marginalized populations, often experiencing effects of structural racism and kind of tying these problems together and recognizing their interconnectedness, I think is critical to coming up with strategies to address them. Absolutely. Thank you, Dr. Solomon. And moving broadly with this theme, we've seen just how interconnected we all are the COVID-19 pandemic and moving into the many hazards of natural disasters. I mean, what a year it's been with hurricanes, floods, fires, then this novel virus spreading faster than we can contain it or understand it. The hazards, as you mentioned, of discrimination, racism, poverty, and the list goes on. So you highlighted that there is a common thread here. And I think it's something that our listening audience would appreciate understanding and seeing brought out a bit more. Well, I just want to reiterate what Karen had just highlighted, and that's just further exemplifies kind of the meta problem concepts. And that's recognizing that all of these other things that are happening, that the climate crisis threatens to undermine our progress in all of them. And that includes the COVID-19 pandemic to achieving the health equity in regards to structural racism. And I think that one theme that really is important is some key parallels. And that's the fact that prevention has to be prioritized. So, I mean, thinking too around the COVID-19 physical distancing that we're all doing, I mean, the very reason that we're recording from our homes is the fact that we have to prevent the disease from even being transmitted. And similarly, we can't get to the root cause for climate-related pathology if someone comes in with an asthma exacerbation due to high pollen levels or putting band-aids on bullet wounds, as I like to say. But In order to tackle this stuff, we have to get to rapid, coordinated global responses. And I think that this is true for so many things and recognizing that they're all interconnected. And so we have to tackle them all together in an integrated fashion. Absolutely. And I liked when you both spoke about how you got into advocacy. Dr. Solomon mentioned her children. And what we've seen in all of the movements that have spiraled in the last few months 
is the centrality of youth and how young people are really pushing in terms of climate change, in terms of racial injustice, in terms of protecting the vulnerable. The young people are at the fore. And we've also seen a huge response from physicians, physicians stepping into the fore to advocate for their patients, co-workers, families amidst the COVID-19 pandemic, and more presently in the discussions about racial injustice. Do you think physicians have a special role to play in climate change advocacy also? I would say that physicians do have a mission of safeguarding health and trying to reduce human suffering. And addressing climate change is absolutely essential to that mission. So I think we can really leverage the fact that physicians are considered among the most trusted voices and that the hope is that people are more inclined to listen if we're using our voice to educate people about the health harms of climate change and about the inequities in how they are being experienced. We can educate legislators in many ways in which we can, and I believe really have a responsibility to have a voice in this movement. Yeah, and I would just add to that excellent answer that that was one of the driving forces for us to launch the Climate Crisis and Clinical Practice Initiative was to also really connect it to clinical practice, to really help doctors see, and I would argue all health professionals from nurses, because I would argue that nurses may even be more trusted than other (laughs) allied health professionals, that it really impacts and makes it harder for us to do our day-to-day job. But I think more importantly, that it's harming our patients. And if we want to be able to provide equitable, high-quality care to all of our patients, then we have to add a climate lens into what we're doing, not only what we're doing in our day-to-day in our offices or in our hospital-based practices or as students, but we also have to then step outside and try to get to the root cause of it and actually decrease our reliance on greenhouse gases and fossil fuels. Well, that's a great segue to my next question, which is really kind of the basics of how can we discuss climate change and its effects on healthcare with our patients in a way that they can relate to. I mean, I think first and foremost is in my mind, this is no different than tobacco from the standpoint that we don't question talking to our patients about tobacco cessation. And I would argue that the climate crisis is in fact harming our patients leaps and bounds above what tobacco potentially is when you think about it from a population health standpoint and especially globally. So I think the first thing is to talk about it. And I think the second key thing is to highlight what we discussed before, and that's to make it personal to them. And so to find a way to connect it into whatever it is that they're dealing with from a health standpoint and or that's important for their family. So how to best protect their children, because I think one of our mandates as health professionals is to empower our patients to be able to care for their own health and improve their own health. And then also recognize why tackling the climate crisis as a society is so important. Back to Renee's point, and I think what you were alluding to, Krista, regarding potentially a concern that discussing climate change is, quote, political. And I think Renee's comment on cigarettes was really apt. But when we just think logically, there shouldn't be anything political about us wanting to have clean air to breathe and access to adequate and safe food and water, to live in temperatures that are tolerable, to not, depending on where you live, be worried about the next intense hurricane or wildfire. And I think, again, if we really are focusing on that shared goal of improving and maintaining health, and we discuss it in that context, I think it's very appropriate and makes a lot of sense for us to be doing. I think you both have shared very informative angles 
to approach that question, which is difficult because, yes, I was kind of alluding to a very politicized message that surrounds climate change. And so my next question is really, how can we positively engage with persons who may not see the importance of climate change or who disagree with this discussion without inciting like conflict and um, negative attitudes, just in a way that's sharing information without inflaming anything? Yeah. So again, I think if the focus is less on a political split in terms of what should be done or shouldn't be done, and we're starting from a point of explaining to people and making sure they understand that air pollutants are, which are released by the burning of fossil fuels, are causing respiratory problems, cardiovascular problems, premature death, people who are suffering from bad allergies, which Renee mentioned earlier, that we know that that is related to the amount of carbon dioxide um, in the air the longer season because of warming climate. So again, I think a lot of it is really just focusing on the science and the health aspect. I do want to come back to the science question though in a bit. So I do see a way that it can be discussed in a manner that's divorced from that political piece, although I understand that unfortunately that can make some discussions a little more challenging. And just to echo Karen's comments, just because a small group has decided to make this issue political, again, just to reinforce, I mean, this is a health issue, I mean, plain and simple. And so that is what we stand on because in what our mandate is in order to protect our patients. So I think for me, one foundation that I stand on when engaging in a conversation about the climate crisis is to first off to listen. I mean, I think in this era of discord, we're very fast to sometimes speak um, and share what our beliefs are. And again, even if they're founded in truth and science, but it's to pause first and sort of listen to hear what the other person has to say. We as humans have some foundation to be able to connect with every person on. And so whatever that connection is, that's what we connect the climate crisis to. And so if it's connecting the climate crisis to how it's harming their children or their grandchildren, that is a way forward in order to engage in hopefully fruitful conversations. And then just making those connections about how that's harming the health of whatever that groundwork has been. And one thing I would just add to what Renee just mentioned is that there are actually interesting data showing that when people with whom we have relationships care about climate and are taking action to reduce greenhouse gases or to reduce their own carbon footprint or what have you, that that ends up affecting our own behavior, that we're all influenced by people with whom we have relationships. So I think Renee is touching on a really important point here. With both COVID-19 and the climate crisis, we're really seeing the devastating effects of delayed and inadequate action by our federal government and really by a broader policy of denying science and truth. And one role that we as physicians and other health professionals we all have is really explaining to people the science and really trying to push for efforts to base policy um, in that science in order to prevent a lot of unnecessary harm. Yeah, and I would just add that it makes it even more important for us as health professionals and I think for scientists as well to directly communicate with the public because we can no longer rely on those intermediaries to appropriately get that message out there in the correct fashion. And I know for me, you know, I often was thinking about, especially like in policy discussions, and I was like, oh, I'll leave that for other people to go have those discussions. But I think, you know, for me, it's really been an awakening and 
I think, convicting to recognize that it's an imperative that I need to step forward and also be directly delivering that message in order to remove any possible intermediaries and to make sure that we are directly communicating the message that needs to be said. I agree. Absolutely. You've underscored how all these things can weave together. And from my perspective, I think we can also throw in there the injustice, the racial injustice that we're looking at now and advocacy and speaking up about that and speaking to our patients about how these things come together. Absolutely. Going forward, what are some of the small practical changes we can make in our daily lives to reduce our personal carbon footprint? Okay, so there are a lot of things we can do, and I'm going to just give a couple of examples. Okay, so eating less meat, eating a more plant-based diet is helpful in that regard. Walking or cycling somewhere rather than driving our cars. Reducing food waste, which is a huge issue. Conserving energy in our homes using non-fossil fuel, fuel-based sources when possible. Those are all important individual actions, but I also really want to emphasize that where we are now, those actions are very, very far from enough to address the challenges we're facing. So I'd just like to throw out a couple more individual, but kind of broader based actions. And I don't know, Renee may want to add some as well, but um, we can, first of all, get involved in our own institutions in reducing their carbon footprint. So we know that the healthcare industry is responsible for about 10% of greenhouse gas emissions. So working together with others in our institutions, we can tackle that one. We can, again, we can be writing or calling legislators or getting more involved in the legislative process on an individual level. We can join groups that are doing that. One other thing that a lot of people are thinking about doing, those who actually are in a position to have a retirement portfolio can divest those portfolios from the fossil fuel industry, but more broadly, Many students have been very active in divestment movements at their own institutions, often working with faculty, with alum and others. So I think that's just another way to get involved. Getting involved in a broad way in efforts, and I think that so that definitely can and may in many cases need to extend to more direct forms of action, protests or other direct actions to really be out there underscoring how urgent this issue is. Yeah, and the one thing I would just add is the fact that medical students and residents and trainees, I think, are by far one of the most powerful voices that the health community has. And so when I look and see at the energy and enthusiasm and passion that you guys have for this issue, I mean, one, it's an inspiration for me and it gives me hope for the future. I guess lastly, I just would say that recognize your power, and I think the Youth Strike movement really highlights that. It's the fact that you can go knock on the dean's door of your medical school and say that you believe that the climate crisis is an issue and that the institution needs to engage in it. You can bring it up on rounds and talk about how the climate crisis is impacting the health of your patients. So you can begin making these connections and I think just harness the power and I think the collective power that you guys have. Thank you. I think those are great actionable items that our listening audience will really appreciate. Earlier this year, you both hosted a symposium on healthcare and climate crisis at the Harvard School of Public Health in conjunction with the journal. It was extremely well attended and the discussion afterward really took off. How can we keep this conversation going? Well, thank you. And I know you were in attendance, you and your colleagues, so appreciate that feedback. Again, as I mentioned earlier, you know, really the driving force for this was connecting it to clinical practice. Again, sort of adding that climate lens to everything that we do, because not only is it going to improve the health of our patients, I think another theme of our conversation is 
improve the health of the most vulnerable. And the other piece, though, is that recognizing we need this broader systemic change, and that has to happen in healthcare first, because we have to take care of our home front. And healthcare really has to lead and say that they recognize that their contribution to greenhouse gas production is harming the very patients that are coming through their own doors. And so as we really try to engage and harness that particular lens, we're having additional flagship sites that will be hosting their own symposiums. And the one being hosted in combination with Stanford and UCSF, potentially other institutions, has a foundation of medical students that are really helping to drive that, again, highlighting the power of training. And so as we look for additional flagship sites, we want to try to get more sites involved and really engage trainees and continue to have this conversation in different geographic regions and to learn from one another and to really make this a collaborative platform in order to learn from one another because we are stronger together. And one thing I would just add as well is that in the conversations we've had with the other sites so far, there's, again, very appropriately and broadly been a real focus on the health equity aspect of this whole broad issue. And I think, as we've covered, that's a really critical part. Excellent. So it sounds like the symposium is on the move, and we'll look out for the next installment of the discussion, and we look forward to expanding the themes around climate change and healthcare. In closing, you have a perspective that's recently come out in the journal that addresses this topic of COVID-19, climate change, and how the two have come together in terms of our response to COVID-19 in the context of climate change. And I just wanted to ask you to tell us a little bit more about that. Thank you so much for highlighting a recently published piece. And I think the driving force for writing this was recognizing that we cannot forget about the climate crisis. Just as we've talked about the fact that it is a meta problem and it is threatening to undermine our response to the COVID-19 pandemic. And I think similarly, as another theme of this conversation is the fact that we are not going to be able to achieve health equity and resolve health disparities again, that have been perpetuated by longstanding structural racism in this country without addressing the climate crisis. And so we attempt to connect it to some key pathways through which the climate crisis is making our pandemic response harder. And recognizing that we need an integrated way to address all of this, and not only will it improve our response for the COVID-19 pandemic, but I think more importantly, it's going to also set us up to be prepared for the challenges that we are going to be continue to face in the future as the climate crisis uh, continues to harm health disproportionately. Thank you to Drs. Solomon and Salas for an engaging discussion of climate change, health care, and how all of these themes are moving together. Well, thank you so much for having us, Krista, and giving us the chance to um, talk about these issues with you. Yes, thank you. It's been a privilege. To our audience, Please check out the Climate Change and Healthcare Discussion under the Discussions tab on NEJM Resident 360, and be sure to click on the Climate Change page under the Resident Lounge tab for postings, updates, and discussions. Curbside Consults is a production of the NEJM Group, and we come to you from NEJM Resident 360. Our production team here at NEJM Resident 360 includes Karen Buckley, Kyle Simmons, Mike Thomasis, Tim Vining, Scott Williams, and Kathy Stern. Special thanks also to our NEJM education editor, Dr. O.P. Hamnevitz. If you have any feedback, questions, or suggestions for future podcast topics, please email us at resident360 at nejm.org. Remember to subscribe to the NEJM social media sites, including Twitter, 
Instagram, and Facebook via the NEJM.org pages. On behalf of NEJM Resident 360, this is Dr. Kristen Nottage signing off. Keep safe out there.